Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. John Pollock and Wei Ting are here live Wednesday night. Excitement. Yes. Are you saying that sarcastically? Because I, I think this is exciting. It's very exciting. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted today. Today was just one of those days that there was just uh, a lot, a lot going on before Dynamite. Mm-hmm. A lot during Dynamite. Now we have now we get to chat about all of it. Let's get right into it. Well, uh let's first of all give a guest announcement, an update that this Sunday Prince Nana on the NWA podcast. So look out for that on Sunday. Really cool, really cool to hear. Um he's he I'm sure we'll have plenty to say, so I look forward to what Nate and Chris have to uh say with him. Yes, uh, go go check that out. You can also check out a uh, new edition of Up Next is on the site, recapping the Great American Bash. Uh, Way and I will share some thoughts. Did you, you saw Tuesday's show? Yes, I did. Yes. Okay, well, we will get into that. That's up on the site. And then, lots to come this week. MCU later, UFC coverage, it's all going to happen. But let us first get into a bunch of news items. And I'm going to start off uh, with two passings that occurred uh, the first being Chris Romero, who wrestled as Chris Youngblood uh, for years, uh, part of the Romero wrestling family. And for those that maybe are not familiar, um, Chris was the son of Ricky Romero, who is a, a pretty well-known uh, performer, uh, lived to be 74 years of age, and he had six children, three of whom went into pro wrestling. Uh, very well-known would be Jay Youngblood, who was a phenomenal talent who died at a very young age of 30. And afterwards, it was uh, Chris that got into wrestling the same year that his brother died and teamed with his brother, Mark Youngblood. And together, they went to a lot of different promotions. They wrestled in world class together. They had a lot of visibility in Puerto Rico for the World Wrestling Council and going to all Japan. Um, Both Youngbloods were fairly regulars there from 92 through 96 But it was in Puerto Rico that they won uh, a number of tag championships, and they were actually on the card in 1988 when Bruiser Brody was stabbed in the locker room. They ended up working the show that night in uh, Bayamon and did continue to wrestle in Puerto Rico for several years after the fact, um, but unfortunately, you know, present for a really horrific incident in pro wrestling history. Uh, They did have a short stay in WCW wrestling as the Renegade Warriors. Uh, That lasted about a year. They wrestled on some Clash of the Champions cards. They were on the Halloween Havoc show in 1990, where they took on uh, Michael Hayes and uh, Jimmy Garvin. And then as the 90s progressed, it was mainly All Japan for them. Chris wrestled a bit in FMW. And then throughout the Texas Independence, he opened up a wrestling school. He ran some groups there and kind of wound down his in-ring career in 2007. Um, The entire family, they were honored a couple of years ago at the Cauliflower Alley Club. And then the news came out today from uh, one of his other brothers 
that he had passed away. He was uh, reportedly 55 years of age, so not all that old. Um, but no cause of death is known. So, you know, p- part of like, um, you know, a fairly well-known family, and especially it's the, uh, I think, what the the individual most would be familiar with is Jay Youngblood for that phenomenal team he had uh, with Ricky Steamboat. But we have a a lengthy story up on the site on uh, on Chris Romero. 55 is, I mean, in wrestling way, it's, that's still young, man. 55 years old to be uh, hearing about it. But again, we don't really know what the cause was. Um, uh, what what he might have been going through? Yeah, I mean, we just went through Del Wilkes, you know, yeah. on our last show talking about it, um, following a, at least similar career trajectory uh, over in Japan. So, and and a similar age too. So, yeah, really unfortunate news. He was on some of those um, that those shows we used to produce at, at the Fight Network, where we had the like mm-hmm. the the random shows from like Texas, and he wrestled like Steve Austin. You can easily find like a match of him pinning, uh, Steve Austin, um, right when Austin was just breaking in, um, along with like that, that whole crew as well. He spent some time, uh, with, with USWA. So around, uh, that era as well. And then the other, uh, passing was cyanide Sid Cooper. And it's, it's not like a great cyanide Sid Cooper story that I have, but when I was, 15 or 16 years old, I was at a bookstore and if I saw, like this is, I would say 2000 and wrestling books were starting to become more plentiful. This is after Mick Foley's book has come out and you kind of got that, um, that surge of wrestling books. So if I saw a wrestling book, I would usually be drawn to it. And that's where I was familiar with all the usual ones. And then I was downtown. I might've been at a tower records and there was, uh, Simon Garfield's book, The Wrestling. It's like, this is a book I have not seen before. And I bought it and it was all about like UK wrestling history. And when I, that was the first time I saw the name Cyanide Sid Cooper. And I was like, that is the best name of a villain I've ever heard of. Cyanide Sid. And that's what mm. I always thought of that name. I'm like, that is the best wrestling name I've ever seen for, for a heel. To, to this day, I would say, my favorite nickname for for a wrestler. Um, uh, he was someone that uh, William Regal has talked about a lot as one of his heroes growing up that he would uh, borrow a lot from. Uh, he started out his career wrestling as Norman Cooper and then more famously as uh, Cyanide Sid, but just a legendary heel during the world of sport era um, throughout the uh, 70s, the 80s, um, right up until kind of ITV shut down um, world of sport at the end of uh, 1988, but just a, uh, you know, I I would say for our, our UK listeners, maybe older ones, what would be a name from your childhood? If you're kind of a generation above. Yeah. Our condolences. Uh, Moving over to WWE. This came out Tuesday morning and that was uh, Jimmy Uso, Jonathan Fatu being arrested uh, for another DUI. Um, This is, the third DUI involving Jonathan Fatu. The first one was way back in 2011, uh, but the second one was only two years ago. And, you know, the details um, don't paint a great picture. Um, He was pulled over on Monday night in the Pensacola, Florida area um, after he had apparently gone through a red light. And then uh, they were able to, I guess, administer a, a breath test. And he registered... Uh, well above the limit. Um, 
he had a 0.205 um, uh, level. And in Florida, the limit is 0.08. We have reached out to WWE. They have not commented at all, which is noteworthy because, you know, in the past, uh, over several years, when these incidents have occurred, the standard line has been so-and-so is responsible for their own actions. WWE has not sent out that generic statement. So I don't know if they are going to have something more thorough. Um, I, I would be very surprised, Way, if he is just on SmackDown Friday. I think this is a very concerning um, pattern that has emerged. And I think first and foremost, it is getting help for this individual because this is very, very serious. And it is through sheer luck that no one has been seriously hurt here. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's a it's a terrible situation, and if you're somebody who is a fan of Jimmy Uso's, like I think a lot of us are, seeing him and his brother get their big breaks as single stars right now, um, and you no know, Jimmy in particular being in the midst of the main event scene with Roman right now, I just it it breaks my heart as a fan to see um, to see him you know be involved in something like this, and uh, I totally agree. I think. There should be appropriate punishment. I wouldn't want to see him on TV. Um, you know, in a PR sense for the company, it's uh, it, no, no good can come, honestly, of just having him continue to be part of a story as if nothing happened, as if this didn't exist. Um, so, you know, I, I hate to say it. I'm a big fan of the guy, but I, I don't really care to see him in this current storyline until he gets his life sorted out. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely the priority. I mean, you want him to take care of whatever problems are going on, but this is something that, I mean, something needs to be done. And again, it's it's more than just your own health and safety. You are putting other people at risk, getting behind the wheel in, in that kind of condition. And it's just, to me, um, I, I don't know what else you can do if you're you're the company. I mean, this is this is staring you right in the face to take some kind of action over. Do you think they let him go? I I don't know if they would take that step uh, to let him go, but I think like the options have to be laid out there at this point that, listen, this is like you got your your pass two years ago and now this has happened again. So now something needs to be done, whether it is going to rehab, something um, needs to be done. And then based on how receptive he is to whatever is presented to him, that then you have to go in whatever direction it is. I'm I'm not a big fan of just letting someone go, but at, at the same time, that would not stun me either. Yeah, just, you know, given, I, I would say, the recent round of cuts. But, I mean, this is a different situation. I think, first and foremost, you want to make sure that the guy stays healthy or gets healthy. Um, and you know, Like, like you go have... back, sorry to interrupt, but, I mean, this is going back a long time ago, but when Jeff Hardy was going through a lot of his problems in 2003, it was largely presented to him, listen, you have to go to rehab he did not want to go to rehab. They cut him. Like that was that that was the option that that was there. So I don't know how they're going to handle this, but they have to do something. This cannot just be a hey, we're going to treat this like the one in 2019. I just don't think that can fly, and it's 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 very concerning. It's very very concerning. Mm-hmm. Raw on Monday night. Uh, these numbers came in from uh, Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics, and they are coming off the uh, the Fourth of July weekend, and viewership was down a million four hundred and seventy two thousand viewers. Which of the 
available data for raw, this would be the lowest of all time for numbers that we have for raw. Uh, they did 536,000 viewers in the 18 to 49 demo. That is not their lowest uh, of all time in the demo, uh, but would be in overall viewership uh, doing a 0.41 in 18 to 49. They did not have an NBA game going against them. They did go against the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I would I would look somewhat at the 4th of July, but at the same time, um, the Monday after 4th of July weekend uh, has happened every single year. So I think you can attribute it somewhat uh, to that. I mean, last year, granted, you didn't have the playoffs at the same time, but they did over 1.6 million. Um, do you look at this number? Is it concerning to you way we are going back to crowds the playoffs are going to end or is this one where is this one of those numbers that you flinch if you're in wwe does this one register to that degree um i feel like there have been many instances already in the past you know recent past where they you would have expected them to have that sort of reaction and maybe they would meet it with some sort of big gimmicky show or gimmicky concept like a raw underground I don't necessarily see them reacting that way this time around because they are going back to live crowds that I feel like live crowds should make up for quite a bit. And I also feel like the quality of the show might might change for the better as well. So, you know, they're on the on the verge of sort of like a mini rebrand, I would assume, when when crowds come back. And therefore, I don't see them being too rea- reactionary to this one. Mm-hmm. You've you've got like two competing things going on, though. You are going back to crowds, which in theory should it's not going to hurt. You also have the Olympics coming up, so that's a couple of weeks of the Olympics. But granted, um, they are in Tokyo, so um, you're going to be, you know, live coverage of the Olympics. Like you'll still have your prime time coverage, but some of it um, will be the results will be out there. So I, I don't know if it would have the same impact as say a um, an Olympics in North America where it's more time zone friendly. Hmm. I, I wonder if that's sport dependent as well. It will be, yeah. Certain things will have more appeal than others. Um, sticking on the WWE television front, this was uh, an interesting announcement they made that for the July 23rd edition of SmackDown, they are teaming up with the Rolling Loud Rap Festival in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. And this is from the release that they put out. Gracing the same stage as festival headliners Travis Scott, Post Malone, and ASAP Rocky, WWE superstars will compete in matches live from Rolling Loud Miami. The July 23rd edition of Friday Night SmackDown on Fox will feature a split-site broadcast with multiple matches at Rolling Loud Miami and the remainder of the evening held at Rocket Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland. I was really surprised to read something like this because it is very unlike main roster WWE or really any WWE show to kind of split their broadcasts. You know, it's one thing for them to like book the Manhattan Center to do a, you know, split broadcast for for their anniversary show, but to split it with a concert, a rap concert at that, uh, it's it seems like a very unique, different type of move for WWE. I I think these kinds of things are always worth trying. Um you do have like the inherent um just scope of it of how will wrestling matches work in that environment for that crowd uh, versus as well, your crowd in Cleveland that, in theory, there's going to be breaks during the actual show that you're going to be watching matches on the screen. But overall, like, I think you have to try things like this that are different, that are just a departure from the norm. I think that that's something w- worth trying at the very least to see if they're, um, if this works and to just try something new. Get out of the usual 
arena environment, I would say, why not? Yeah, why not? I, I think taking more chances is, is something I would greatly welcome for this company. I mean, the right sort of chances. I guess they do take plenty of creative chances all the time. But, what, you know, what they should be doing to- is doing all the matches from Cleveland and then they throw to this in Miami and Hit Row comes out. Uh, I think that I mean, that would be perfect integration. But unfortunately, that's, you know, a different type of show. Um, but, you know, I, I would say in terms of production, in terms of visual aesthetics, uh, I think these shows have been pretty stale for quite a long time, Raw and SmackDown. So the, the ability to be able to see a wrestling match from a concert setting, um, I look forward to seeing what that looks like. Uh, going over to Japan, we talked about the Olympics, and it looks like on Thursday a decision will be made if Tokyo is going to go into yet another state of emergency. And... Um, the Japan Times was reporting on this that they that it's expected that they will go into their latest uh, state of emergency, which would go through August twenty second, meaning that the Summer Olympics would be taking place where the host city is under a state of emergency, which it just is mind blowing. But I think everyone understands why these Olympics are happening. It is not because it's the uh, safest operation. This is very much an economic decision. Um, but you know, uh, looking just specifically to our world um that's once again going to put this tokyo dome show in question yet again uh will they be able to move forward with that but it looks like a decision will officially be made on thursday uh, all japan just announced uh, two more positives uh, shuji ishikawa and black menzori both uh, testing positive so i mean it's you look at the numbers and it's i think they had just over 9 they had 920 new cases on wednesday in tokyo and they're looking at you know, entering a state of emergency. So I think like you look at different places um, in the U S it's like the numbers have not gone down to nothing either, but this is, it just seems like the, the whole optics of this as you are about to bring all of these people in uh, athletes, coaches for the Olympics. Um, I'm glad I'm not in Japan right now. It's pretty wild. I mean, and I imagine, you know, history will look, will look back at this particular particular set of olympic games with quite the um you know interesting um snapshot of of this entire period uh, throughout the entire world so um you know i i don't doubt that that the athletics themselves the games themselves the sports sporting events themselves will probably go off perfectly fine hopefully um you know like the the athletes are vaccinated hopefully the a- athletes are, are able to keep safe I think that is primarily the the main concern here. You know, broadcast rights are are fulfilled. Um, you know, whatever ticket sales are, are occurring are able to be fulfilled as well. But um, it's wild. Well, that's that's another issue here is that if this state of emergency goes through, like what impact is that going to have on live spectators? Will you have to reduce capacity? Will some even be able to have like that? That's the other question that probably will will come out of this if this decision is in fact made on Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the Olympics Games like going ahead um, is obviously going to be a very different story from what a company like New Japan will be able to, to do. Um, you know, all the other sporting events that are kind of like on the shoulders of these Olympic Games are are kind of having to watch from the sidelines to see what they can they can do. So um, we'll see if this Tokyo Dome event happens. The uh, the uh, the elusive Tokyo Dome show that New Japan is bound and determined to run this year. Okay, this story is nuts. So MMAChunky.com ended up filing a Freedom of Information Act request with the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation and were able to learn 
that back in June of 2018 at UFC 225, Mike Jackson tested positive on fight night with marijuana in his system, and therefore his loss to CM Punk was overturned to a no contest. So CM Punk, his MMA record is now 0-1 with one no contest. And do you think Punk knew that? Like, did the fighters? He themselves? he had to actually sign off on this, so it was okay. the, the parties involved would have. I'm just amazed that this was not a like public disclosure by the Illinois Commission. It took a Freedom of Information Act request three years after the fact for this knowledge to come out. Like this is a government entity, and this was a complete unknown fact. I mean, not like this changes the course of a MMA history or anything, but it's more so just uh, very bizarre that this was uh, so under the, like, not even on the radar. Well, is it surprising that the fighters themselves didn't let the world know? I mean, if you're Mike Jackson, I mean, what impetus do you have to really disclose that? Uh, And if you're Punk, I mean, this does not change the fact. I mean, this was a brutal fight. Punk did not look good in this fight. This is hardly like this is I'm sure the guy takes it as a loss. Exactly. You know, the fact that he he didn't publicize this tells me that he doesn't care what it officially says in the rule book. He thinks of it as a loss. And I would imagine uh, anybody who saw the fight would feel that way as well. I mean, we're talking about marijuana here, which is, you know, a ridiculous thing to get um, a fight overturned for. Which was another major story today. Nevada announcing that they are no longer... Uh, testing for marijuana like they are they are out of the business of testing and adjudicating marijuana offenses within the state and you have to imagine that the um the the whole story involving the olympics right now probably played some kind of factor and nevada is uh, taking taking that step forward Mm -hmm. there you go so what what does this mean is cm punk ever coming back to mma or what no but Today, uh, Aaron Bronstetter noted that it looks like Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler, they're trying to put a fight together. So after, uh, God, Ooh. Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz has not fought in over six years. And look at that. They are paving the way. So it's it's not finalized, but they're trying to put Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz together for September. Oh, he's going to have a fun training camp, I'm sure. Nick Diaz, no restrictions. Uh, let's end off this with uh, Great American Bash thoughts from Tuesday night. I thought the show was excellent. Great show. Really good show. I mean, I don't know if I would... I would say, like, takeover level, honestly. Like, by, by takeover... I, I would say the last uh, 45 minutes of that show between... Uh, the main event, I, I enjoyed this match between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly more than the Stand and Deliver show. Um, stand and Deliver, tremendous, like, first half, tremendous end. A lot in the middle I could have done without. It was just a marathon match that I just... This was like the more condensed version that I still totally got my value out of. Um, you know, Adam Cole goes over. We're kind of doing the 50-50 thing, but it was a tremendous match between these two. But the thing I'm going to remember on this show, the most memorable thing was the segment with Hit Row that I thought, this is incredible. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, like star-making performance for this group. Like if this group takes off... This is going to be the segment that I think everyone will look at as the breakthrough moment for this group. Hmm. Yeah. It, um. I. I'm honestly like maybe surprised that it's gotten the reaction that it has. It seems like it, it. Like you said, John, it seems to be the biggest talk coming out of this show more so than any of the matches. And um. I from what I hear, it's not all positive. I know a lot of people 
might have not liked it, might have maybe wanted more of a physicality aspect attached to it, whether it be in the form of a run-in or something like that. I I really enjoyed it simply as a great display of, I think, um, you know, authentic talent outside of the actual in-ring uh, product. To me, it, 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 you know, having these four doing this sort of gimmick is one of the most authentic, I think, representations of hip-hop culture that the WWE has ever had. You know, we just went back and... We go back and rewatch shows, and it's like, oh man, Road Dog and R-Truth rapping, you know, to the ring, or, like, it's, you know, Men on the Mission and, and stuff like that. And maybe that stuff was, like, you know, cool to a certain uh, audience at, at the time, but I, I just think that these guys are actually, you know... In terms of pop culture, like excellent, like really cool and, and great re- representatives, I think, for professional wrestling. I think it's such a great act that you can export to a non-fan. Like I equate it way to when I will have something MMA related that I throw your way that I feel I'm catering it to what is going to grab way. If it was the opposite and you were just completely done with pro wrestling, this would be a segment I would show to someone that watches wrestling Never. Doesn't even like it. And I think that this would be something that they would at least be intrigued by. Uh, hmm. may, maybe it's not necessarily going to bring in a fan that's not really into wrestling. But to me, it's an act that is just so fresh. It feels... It's something you watch on WWE, and it just feels so cool. Beyond yeah. anything else that they are presenting. That, And I also really enjoy just watching the live aspect of this. That any one of these performers could have totally frozen up and this would have been a disaster. Like this was just, it was excellently performed. It is like so genuine in that this is not a group that is being, uh, having promos or raps dictated to them to just go out and recite clearly. Like this is a level of performance that is very, very high level. Uh yeah, yeah. It's it's not just wrestlers trying to, you know, play the rap gimmick. Like it feels like these guys, you know, have had and I, I think in the case of B Fab, like like and even Swerve and maybe actually the rest of them too, I'm not even completely certain, but they all have as much of a passion for this other thing as they do for professional wrestling seemingly, maybe even more. And and that definitely comes across in the authenticity and the confidence in the performance. Um I would say, you know, it's hard to say like how much uh adonis um like he i know he produces the beats he might actually dj uh so he's very much responsible for i think a whole whole lot in that group but i we didn't get as much of a sense of you know the performance from him last night but for the other three to me especially top dollar to me especially bfab i thought they just charismatically came across as such strong personalities so we will look forward to them on raw one day god oh yeah Viking Raiders need a new uh, set of uh, decathlon partners. I guess the other thing, big thing on the show was uh, the battery herself, Tegan Knox, returned mm-hmm. fully charged and led to the title change. Io Shirai and Zoe Stark winning the tag titles. I was a bit surprised that they did uh, the tag title switch, but with uh, Tegan Knox coming back, obviously they are going to go right to her and Candice LeRae. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, I was a little surprised given all the, um, you know, reports of her having um, matches, uh, a, a dark match at, at Raw, and, uh, you know, I thought that she would be called up right away, but seemingly, at least not for the time being, she'll be uh, working with Candice LeRae, at least for the near future. 
So I, I thought it was a really good show. I I thought this was one of NXT's you know best presentations in quite some time. I I really enjoyed it, especially that that last hour. It was very very strong stuff from the company. And next week they are doing Karrion Cross and Johnny Gargano and. I don't know what they are going to do with that match. I would imagine there's going to be tons of speculation that Cross is his days as champion will be limited, but I just this feud to me is so perplexing. It's a sort of a double heel feud with one person slightly leaning a bit more babyface while still trying to be a heel. I I you know, in the end, I think with NXT, um as long as you can guarantee good matches, I think the audience can be forgiving of a lot. And I think Johnny Gargano in a big match situation will really deliver. The fact that they are, you know, using the WWE lines with carrying cross last night, I, I really do feel like they are trying to lead the audience to think that he has a chance of losing because he is going to move up to the main roster. And therefore I think, I think that's only a swerve. Um, I think he retains and maybe drops it to somebody else at the next actual takeover. Yeah. It feels like, um, a strange time to, or and a strange opponent to drop it to, and I definitely noted him l- lining out those objectives um, to probably m- misdirect people. I for, love for it. I, I, well. I, it's that's, great. It's great to take advantage of the. Rumors that's the level you've got to be thinking at with with your mm-hmm. audience these days. Also worth noting, like, and God, did they remind you that tonight's show was brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade? But, uh, wow, that's a mouthful. So big, it's a light big beer, title sponsor, and my God, they just threw. Uh, Vic Joseph must have uh, read this copy out a hundred times on this show. Well, I, I I'd rather Vic Joseph say it than to have a wrestler say it in a midst of a promo like the chicken sandwich. Wait a minute, Johnny! Oh. I've got a fourth objective. <laughs> Pinning you oh. one, two, three before I have my Bud Light seltzer lemonade because I'm going to enjoy it responsibly. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Well, that's Can I also add Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade? You could not put four words together that make me want to vomit more than those combinations. Light, Bud Light Seltzer, seltzer lemonade. lemonade. I mean, is, is, is a seltzer not inherently light to begin with? Brandy, this is lighter. Oh, okay. Got it. Hmm. They lost me at Bud. Uh so let's uh, move on to Dynamite. We have all of the news up at postwrestling.com. You can uh, check out all of that. And we have quite a bit of news coming out of Road Rager as AEW moved on to the James L. Knight Center in Miami, Florida. Yeah, first show back on the road. And this was a very lively crowd in Miami, a very hot crowd in Miami. We, we started... A, a t- uh, attendance figures... Um... I believe it was, I, yeah, Russell Ticks had the latest update that they're, of the tickets 3, that were out. 3,738 um, at last check, and, and maybe that doesn't include walk-up, uh, but that would be 80% capacity. Yeah, that would be the tickets that were out in the market, so sold tickets, comps. So, I mean, it was a very, very healthy crowd that they had mm-hmm. uh, in Miami tonight, including uh, three comps for Dan Lambert. Jorge Masvidal and Amanda Nunez that we will get to. Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall started things off the South Beach strap match. So QT is 19 and 2 this year. That is his record. That's pretty good. Wow. 
Uh, they're booking him really strong. Well, he is a leader of a faction uh, in the end. Who, who? I mean, the two would be one against Cody and um, am I missing somebody else? Like, because I would say if you're only watching Dynamite, he doesn't look like he's being booked the strongest. Well, the ta- but... he was in the tag match when Brock Anderson. Oh yes, yeah, so, so he lost that. One. That was only his second loss this year. Wow. Well, he had the match with Cody, and then that that tag match. Yeah, well, what I mean is like when you're when you just watch Dynamite, you don't get the sense that he's being booked that strong. But I guess when you include all the well, that's guys, the point. I think he's a very deceptive nineteen and two record. Mm, so yes. I don't think AEW could get away with um, just quietly switching someone's record to include a no contest if they tested positive for marijuana. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they're really testing for marijuana. We had Nick Camaroto and Aaron Solo in one corner. Arn Anderson is out with Cody. And this is where we see Dan Lambert, Jorge Masvidal, and Amanda Nunez. And Masvidal must have just... He was like in Vegas, like on Tuesday. And then, boom, he's in Miami here. So, got some FaceTime here. And when they went to them the second time, you knew, okay, there, there's going to be some kind of angle uh, to come. Solo was distracting, so Dustin Rhodes came down. A lot of whipping from QT. Cody's back looked uh, just tremendous for the flight home. Uh, QT gets yanked into the post and gets busted open. And then the lights go out, and then they just come back on. And JR casually notes, we've had some issues during the day. By the end of the big angle, I love this. This was a great, great utilization of a perceived uh electrical issue power outage power i'm sure power outages like actually occur in these scenarios um but i Dude, don't think with this heat in like miami this. this was completely believable to me that the power generator was being affected here yeah but i would also assume like places like this have like backup upon backup upon backup so whatever it's like it's a way to tell a story i thought it was u- utilized well we had where was wasn't it at a WrestleMania, there was some big show where the lights went out. Uh, this was not all that I'm long sure. ago. Yeah, I'm sure anyway. it happened. But I mean, I also like w- the cameras wouldn't go out too. Dude, the Super Bowl had this problem a few years ago, where the power right. went out. Right. The Super yes. Bowl. So this is a yeah. completely viable um, technical malf- malfunction. Cody is choking him on the top turnbuckle, goes for a top rope Rana, QT counters with a power bomb. The gimmick here is that you have to touch all four corners. So QT comes back with a draping diamond cutter, but can only hit three. Cody just stands up to all of the whips and fires back and hits his red bastine flying head scissors that he's now incorporating. Hits a Cody cutter. Arn gives him the throat slash. He hits three turnbuckles. And then low blows QT. QT comes back, spits in Cody's face, and Cody hits three crossroads and then hits all four turnbuckles. Cody is your winner, and QT falls to 19 and 3. Oh, 19 and 3. Devastating. Yeah, honestly, um, I, it felt like this match, like it felt like this feud was already done. And to me, the only reason why you would maybe think about doing a show like a match like this on this show is to just have Cody have a big win in front of a crowd, being the first one out there. And, you know, maybe there's something to that. You know, he sort of is the franchise guy, um, and I think the crowd still really likes him, despite maybe some missteps in recent uh, booking or or recent promo work. 
But uh, the match I found entertaining. Strap matches, I think, are difficult to make compelling, but I thought these two managed well. A lot of stiff-looking whipping, some good near finishes, and I thought a pretty dramatic end with, like, QT spitting Cody's face and then the three crossroads with Cody even doing, like, a bit of a low blow, which, you know, he always definitely straddles that line between babyface and heel, uh, but tonight, to me, he felt like a very clear baby face. I will say, I felt like QT's blade job was pretty unnecessary, especially given that it was the opening match. I know that they feel like these strap matches need to achieve a certain level of violence, but I don't think it added any drama to the match. I agreed. I didn't think the blood meant anything in the match. Um, I think you should save those, especially in AEW. Breaking news. Your Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, wow. Sorry, Montreal. You had a good run. Much better good than run. Toronto did. Mm-hmm. After the match, uh, we go to the back. And from earlier in the day, Sean Spears is talking about his chair shot to Sammy Guevara being the second greatest chair shot he's thrown in AEW. Then a chair gets thrown from off camera into Spears. And it's Guevara who says, gotcha, bitch. And this is far from over. No Jade Cargill. So, yeah, Sammy got the bitch card this week. You had to, you had to pace them out. Um on this show. So it looks like we are going to get Guevara and Sean Spears a week removed. Did you like on Wednesday, I completely understood MJF winning when he is in the more important program with Jericho. I also can see like a lot of arguments that like Sammy was front and center after, after double or nothing. Could he have afforded the win? Um, and MJF affording the loss. And I guess you can go back and forth on either of them. Do you feel strongly one way or the other of like where Guevara is right now coming off that match last week? I mean, I really feel like they made the right decision. You know, MJF is in the principal feud against, I mean, he he is the leader of the faction going up against the other leader leader of the faction. Uh, I think there is time for Sammy to achieve that same level of uh, importance. And I really don't think he loses all that much. Um, through the loss could he have gained a lot more through it i think in the end i don't think it really matters um they both won in my opinion and and, and i think the opinions of of all the fans because that was one of the best matches of the year kenny omega and don Callis come out and this was like our first really great back to crowd moment the crowd erupts in a chant of you got fired at don Callis," and they literally had to stop and and acknowledge it. And this to me was the moment that it was like the first time it felt like we are back was this chant. Mm-hmm. Getting impromptu chants from the crowd. Well, there was another moment later on with a fan interaction. Oh, yes. The idiot brigade was also unleashed on yeah. Wednesday night. Definitely reminded us that crowds are back. But um, <laughs> Callis had to like it's 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 definitely fun to watch wrestlers react to um, chants that they don't expect. And I think that is one of the great skills and tests of a great improvise improviser in pro wrestling to see how they can react to whether it be a, a what chant or in this case, Don Callis reacting to these you got fired chants. Don Callis lists off all the people that Kenny has beaten. There is no one left for him to beat. This crowd erupts in chants of cowboy shit. It's getting so loud. And they're just dismissing them as they continue on. And then it's deafening. We want Hangman. I was like, my God, if his music played right now, this arena would just erupt. 
Instead, the Dark Order comes out and Evil Uno enters the ring as our Canadian content was at an all-time high. Oh, he's probably watching the game backstage. I bet he did, yeah. Um, this culminates in Kenny Omega asking U- Evil Uno, what is the capital of Thailand? And Evil Uno gives it a thought. He is kicked in the balls, and Kenny says, it's Bangkok, baby. Did you like that? <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's All I'm so saying bad. is the reaction 98% of people had is exactly what they want you to yes, react yes. to with this Kenny Omega character. They want this guy. They want you to roll your eyes at this character. Yes. And that was achieved here. So they brawl. The Dark Order is all involved. The Good Brothers are out. And then Hangman runs down to make the save. He fights off Gallows and Anderson. And then there is this moment. Kenny is staggering in the ring and... Hangman is on the edge, turns around, and we're teasing the buckshot lariat. But instead, Paige enters the ring. They look at one another. They meet. And then Gallows goes onto the apron. Paige goes after him. And Kenny takes his title and runs. This was an awesome segment. They are sitting on this unbelievable program. They have, they have something magic at their hands with this program. And with crowds that are... So into this. I mean, this had to be the greatest reassurance of how amped they were for this Hangman Page presence to take out Kenny Omega. Uh, This was, I mean, how could you not be excited for when they pull the trigger on this match and just let it simmer? And it feels it's almost at a boiling point now already. That is the challenge now. You know, can they keep this thing as hot, if not even, or to make it even hotter come September? Um, You know, when... I would say for the better part of like the past couple of months, Paige has, you know, rightfully like been kind of lingering, you know, on the undercard, um, being a part of the Dark Order, not really being involved too much in the title picture. But I, um, I really didn't have too much doubt that they'd be able to like bring him back up to a boil really at any time that they wanted to. And it was absolutely apparent today, like they didn't even have to do much. Like, what did they have to do? Last week, it was a segment with the Dark Order coming out to confront Kenny. Um, a little thing of, like, you know, Paige walking into the back saying, why did you guys do that? Um, you know, a Twitter user writing a great recap thread. That certainly, I'm sure, helped um, this this whole thing as well. But then tonight, like, the live crowd returning and just the simple mention and the tease of uh, Hangman Page and that wonderful visual of him about to execute that buckshot lariat that we all remember from that tag match. Um, I thought this was really well paced and man, they gave us part of the moment. They give us the the anticipation of the moment of him eventually hitting that buckshot lariat to Kenny. And um, they held back and I just, I can't wait now for the two months. Great segment, really great. And so much better with um, 3,700 people. Um, chanting along with this it just felt like a really really important feud and it's your top title program that's the reaction you want to have where you're excited for a match and now it's just peaking for the right moment for for the match jim ross had a sit-down interview with ethan page and darby allen and jim ross he is disgusted and finds it sad that these two want to end the other's career how did we get here darby says I accomplished in my first year what it took Ethan 12 years to do. Ethan, 
you got married, you had kids, you never left your hometown. While I set out, I lived in my car to make it big. You were a big fish in a small pond. And I got to AEW before you. Paige says, yeah, you skipped the line because I plucked you from obscurity. You learned from me. I brought you into this industry. I'm going to take you out next week in the coffin match. And JR says, I do not have a peaceful or easy feeling about this. I thought this was an excellent segment. As always, I think JR is great in these. He helps us set the scene and makes things feel really real in a way that I don't think any of their other backstage interviewers can. It, it, it never feels like JR is acting when he's doing these sit-down interviews. He knows exactly what the aim of the story is. I find him incredibly sharp in these scenarios, which, you know... Um, might not always be the case, unfortunately, when it comes to, to the commentary. But in these segments, he is fantastic and the best guy for the job. Ethan Page was great here. A ton of intensity, great presence and delivery. This really kind of like, you know, elevated this singles feud. This is the, like, we, we talk about this in these situations for a lot of these performers. Like, yes, Ethan Page, he had some, he had a lot of success in Impact Wrestling with Josh Alexander. This is the biggest match of his career next week. I don't think that is hyperbole. Uh, and I think this is going to be a very violent match between these two. Yeah, I do expect maybe um, a little bit of blood for this one. But uh, yeah, they, they, they drew upon their history really well, and I think they conveyed it really well. FTR and Wardlow with Tully Blanchard against Jake Hager, Santana, and Ortiz with Conan. And Hager gets the tag. And he just runs wild. I think this guy has really found his rhythm now. Like who this Jake character, this Jake Hager character is. It's like he's the maniac muscle head of the group. Like that totally. is the role. I think he finally, it, I think it all clicked during that, that freezer scene with Wardlow at Double or Nothing. Hmm. I think him working as a babyface has um, made his in-ring style a whole lot more exciting too. Because he's now definitely increased the speed of his style. You know, he's not just a power guy, but he actually wrestles really fast. And it's really exciting to watch when you compliment him with Proud and Powerful. He fits in really well. They got control of Santana during the break. There was a dragon suplex jackknife cover by FTR. Ortiz kicked out. Hager's in with the ankle lock. And then Wardlow gets the tag. So we have the big showdown with the monsters. And Hager is able to get an ankle lock on Wardlow when Tully distracts. And then FTR is in. Hager turns his back and allows Wardlow to push him into FTR's big rig. And then Wardlow gets the pin on Jake Hager. So it looks like we are just going to be going, not just having showdowns with some of the pairings of FT, uh, the pinnacle and inner circle, but multiple matches, which is something AEW does not do a whole lot of rematches or they at least spread them all out. But it seems that Hager and Wardlow, we have probably not seen the, the last chapter of. Yeah, yeah. And each one, though, has been, at least the first two, have been very different. So I, I look forward to seeing what the third one will be. I mean, we criticize all the time in WWE when we watch Raw that these are like unofficial best of fives or best of sevens. And every match is the same. There is no difference in, I think, a stipulation or anticipation. Um, the results ultimately don't matter a whole lot. These ones are... I would say I can remember every single Wardlow and Hager match up until this point, and I can tell you that logically one builds on from the other so that, you know, it's like 
the two of them have one apiece, and then you have a rubber match. And really, that's uh, typically about it. So each one, as long as they can make them feel important on and different, I'm okay with it. Maybe Wardlow could have accused Jake Hager of testing positive for marijuana after their cage fight. So it didn't count. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a... Well, he'd have to file a... What do you call it? F... F-I- <laughs> Wardlow oh. and Tully go and file a Freedom of Information Act request, and they learn that on fight night, Jake Hager was with Conan and got high. Quite the story, yes. Conan gets into the ring with the mad ball. Wardlow no-sells it, and then Tully chop blocks Conan as the pinnacle exits. Man, I'm surprised to see like physicality with with all these guys. Tully, and I think this Conan. was about the extent of how they were. Did you hear Tully recently when he talked about the the match he did a couple of months back that he felt that for like a month after? I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, that's he's he's pretty nuts. I have to say, you know, to do this at his age, uh, maybe as nuts as Dan Lambert taking the, the blackout. God, I will say I, I love their personalities. I, I don't want to see Tully and Conan involved in any kind of wrestling, no matter like hidden in tags. I don't need that. They are great on the on the mic. That's all I need from those two. I think last week was to. I mean, okay, granted, Vicky Guerrero is not the same as Conan or Tully, okay, but I think we've. I think you know, even the AEW audience has their fill of like the non wrestler being involved in a match, as protected as they may be. The bar is high for a match on Dynamite. Like it's really high. And I think last week's ma- the tag match, like that was well below the the quality that Dynamite produces each week. I think that was very apparent. And it to me exposes like the weaknesses of these guys. Whereas seeing yep. these two talk, they feel like number like the top level stars in that quote unquote you know talking division. Yeah. Uh, so why why ruin that aura? Carl Anderson cut a promo on John Moxley, who is coming back next week, and they built this all around Moxley still having the IWGP U.S. title. And we had plenty of New Japan footage, and Carl Anderson wants to get the U.S. title and bring it back when he goes to New Japan. And that is our setup for next week when they beat up John Moxley. And this will be our first appearance of John Moxley since uh, the pay-per-view. Yeah, even though we've seen, you know, plenty of like New Japan crossover at this point, or we've seen plenty of Carl Anderson and AEW Dynamite, seeing like New Japan footage of Carl Anderson on Dynamite still feels incredibly novel and still feels incredibly cool. And uh for some reason they gave I gave never... you a big reason. Like Carl Anderson versus John Moxley. Yeah, on paper, that's that's cool. You could get away with just Moxley's back next week. This is who he's facing. In two minutes, they gave you the reason Carl Anderson wants this match, there is something he is fighting for. And suddenly you take this match that, okay, Moxley's return has this interest. Now we have his return plus a story on top of it that they're fighting for something. And you accomplish that in two minutes. I think I think for me, it like rebrands Carl Anderson in a really positive light. You know, like to me, the Good Brothers are still very much kind of coming off of, I would say, honestly, the stench of like that WWE run where neither of them are taken very seriously. Um, this reminds us of the machine gun Carl Anderson, the guy who, you know, went to the G1 finals and looked incredibly impressive doing it. So I'm looking forward to Moxley versus Anderson. To me, like this will probably play into some of the New Japan Strong shows that are coming up. He missed a great ending line of saying, 
the machine gun is coming firing at you and you don't have a shield to protect you. Wow, that is wonderful. Please uh send that tweet that Come out on, Carl. Somebody. MJF and Chris Jericho are out for the face-to-face standoff and we got 45 minutes into the show where we were reminded of when fans come back, the great fans come back, but so do the idiots. As this fan, I was amazed he got as close as he did. This dude got onto the stage and right up to the ring when a security guy grabbed him. Jericho got in on it as well. And dude, the guy that was quickest of all of them was MJF on his feet, who immediately just cut a promo, tearing this dude down and like clockwork went into the promo. I was very impressed with MJF, who thought so quick on his feet and he was not rattled for a second. Both. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, like you said, John, one of the unfortunate aspects of I think fans returning is uh, this. Like you would hope by this point, man, the why would anybody ever, ever, ever try this? Um, Maybe part of it is the attention, you know, look, look at look at the fact that we are talking about it right now. But God, I hope this person never gets to attend a wrestling show again. Certainly, at least not in AEW. Um, he, he just makes, he made everybody look bad, but you know, again, it is interesting to see how these performers react with these kind of very unnatural situations. And here you have perhaps the two sharpest guys in the entire company who I think if you're going to trust anybody with an unpredictable situation, it would be these two MJF like did not skip a beat. He was ready to just do his job, complete professional Jericho. You can tell he was definitely rattled a little bit more. But at the same time, I think, you know, the look on his face was not necessarily just him reacting to what had happened, but for him to think, how can I use this in my comeback? What line can I give out there to make mention of this and move on? Yeah. And and listen, it it goes back forever. The tradition of, you know, you, you jump the ring. It's very much, you know, you are putting yourself into the line of fire. I think performers have to be very careful in these days this day and age of, I know it's drummed into you that it's like fans are fair game that jump the barricade. But I, if I was Tony Khan or if I was any wrestling promoter, I would be telling my performers, listen, we have our security. Mm-hmm. If they get right up to you, of course you have to defend yourself. But if not, don't put yourself into that situation. You don't know how this person is going to respond mm-hmm. legally. Uh, what could happen if they get injured don't don't invite they, that headache into your life. Maybe they have a weapon, you know, like you have no idea. You're absolutely right. You know, it's I know it's it's a very old school mentality to like teach. The I, fan I, I have no sympathy if a fan gets gets hit by a performer. Yeah. I'm just saying for the performer's sake, you just don't know what could go wrong. And then suddenly you're involved in this. There's that video out there with like Triple H when like a, a, a fan jumped the ring like in the 90s, right? With like a, like a Steve Austin match of some sort. And these guys just like <laughs> brutalize this fan. And by all accounts, you know, the fan probably deserved it. But that video making the rounds today will not make the company look good. Uh, and yeah, it's a very different time. So perhaps, you know, better to err on the side of, um, you know, uh, letting the security do their job. Yes. Um, The spirit of Eddie Guerrero was in Chris Jericho tonight. So they just go right into their segment. They're at this uh, at this table. And I guess there was a light Y2J chant as Jericho informed them Y2J is dead. 
and he should have let the fat bastard into the ring to kick MJF's ass. Yeah. And that got a pop from the crowd. You know, it's like if you don't address the situation, I mean, it would have been fine, but I think you would have like, it's it's a giant elephant in the room and it would have felt like you were hiding something. And the fans at home saw it too on TV, like they could see what had happened. You address the situation so that everybody can move on from it. We shelve it from our thoughts and we can move on with the rest of the show. So the idea is that MJF is going to lay out a bunch of parameters for Jericho to get another match with him. Jericho will accept any stipulation. He will get in front of a Mack truck. He will go into a lake infested with piranhas or even have sex with MJF's mother. Again. The again was like, okay, like the sex. They with got your they mother. got the double pop out of that line. Yeah, sex with your mother is very much like okay, yeah, uh, haha, like funny fifth grade, but like the again definitely kind of added a bit more like uh, nuance and sophistication to it. I, I thought it was the, the crowd ate it up. MJF brings up Jericho's feud with Moxley and how he made Moxley go through the gauntlet of all the inner circle members. So he's going to take that blueprint and make it better. He's a fan of Greek mythology, and he mentions Jericho not being in the key demo any longer. This did not get a reaction from the crowd, and I think that was very interesting. So what does he mean, 18 to 49? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I think, in maybe, fr- maybe- I think honestly, I would think that to an AEW crowd, that line would work. It did not work here. Like, this did not get any reaction. And there were several, like, big zingers on this show that totally landed with this crowd. This was not one of them. That line, I think, would have worked really well on Twitter, you know, to, like, an audience that, that could sit down and actually think about it. When you're there to react live, I think this was an audience that reacted a lot more to the I'm going to have sex with your mother type of humor. To these fans, they're like, ah, oh, show buzz daily. The era's over. So he's going, he talks about the labors of Hercules. So Jericho's going to have to go through four opponents. And it sounds like there will be stipulations attached to them as well in order for him to get to MJF. And Jericho agrees, stating, if I can't beat them, maybe I don't belong in AEW. And Jericho is going to ruin MJF's life. He signs the contract. And MJF ends by saying, where I'm from, in Plainview, Long Island, A deal is not completed until we shake hands. So Jericho reluctantly shakes hands, pulls MJF into a Judas effect, and MJF goes down and sells it with his eyes open. He's unconscious and, you know, you forget to close your eyes sometimes. Yeah, I thought this was a really great segment. You know, like it feels like in this episode, um... I mean, they kind of called it like an an official season premiere type of thing. And it really felt that way because maybe even not so much of, of a season. I would say maybe a partially season premiere, but like in some ways it felt like a great go home show for a lot of these programs. Um, In this case, it is just the start of this kind of long gauntlet for Chris Jericho, but it definitely puts the focus at the end destination for a lot of these different programs. And uh, put, putting the two of them in the ring together is simply doing what part part of what they do best and talking. Um, you know how could how could this segment fail? And it really did not. I would say though, instead of a go home show, I think this was the leaving home show. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Because we're going home in uh four weeks. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, but you know, again, like. I thought both of them recovered incredibly well after a really kind of strange, unpredictable start. 
and proceeded, you know, to They had a good segment. They had a very good segment together. Tony Schiavone interviews Britt Baker and Rebel in the back. And Britt Baker just cut this promo. She said last week was a match no one wanted to see. Vicky Guerrero is a senior citizen. Rebel got hurt. And Tony Khan should feel terrible for granting that match to Vicky Guerrero, all in the name of getting Andrade. (laughs) One of her best lines was, Rebel's knee exploded and I almost died. All for Andrade. So enjoy your blood money. Maybe next week, AEW can run in Saudi Arabia. And the reaction to this line. This one landed. Oh, definitely, yeah. I almost wish he like was able to do this in front of the crowd. But, I mean, you heard the crowd, you know, uh, either way. Quite the line to uh, throw out there. And she mm-hmm. is going to put Nyla into obscurity when she defends the title against her uh, in two weeks. This will be on the second week of Fighter Fest. I really like the line. Now, at the same time, like, it really kind of, like, demands, you know, strong... If AEW is ever put into a, a, a situation where their morals are going to be in question in 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 exchange for, I guess, I don't know, making a lot of money, like these are the types of things that can come back to them. The way like Taz's, what is it, uh, what is it, sloppy shop line it would come back eventually to haunt them. Uh, but you know they're fun and they get great reactions, so maybe maybe it's that's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, it was a line that uh, I'm su- I'm surprised they like they went there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, from what it seems like, they're given a great deal of autonomy. I'm sure Tony Khan had to okay this one as well, but it was like you know trash talk uh, for the audi- for an audience that definitely understands these references. So she did great. Matt Seidel and Andrade El Idolo with Vicky in the corner. Uh, Andrade wrestled in uh, pinstripe pants. Uh, he did yeah, his. He, uh, he was dressed up as a DC character called Black Mask. That's like that was the mask at the top. Oh, tell me about Black Mask. I is he? I does he have any much. relation to Kang? <laughs> I don't believe so. No, um, it's a different universe. But you you have seen the latest edition of Loki? I take it. No, I have not. But was that a a key to episode five? Well, I mean, it's just a a rumored name attached to oh, the series. Oh, okay. So. Okay. I'm MCU almost later. Caught. MCU later, everybody. Tomorrow night. All your answers. Uh, he hit the uh, the double moon salt, landing the second one. They went through the break. Uh, there were chants for Eddie as Andrade. He did the three amigos during the break and then teased the frog splash. But Seidel stops him and hits the meteora. And Andrade makes the comeback, double knees, and his finisher, which is a hammerlock flatliner called El Idolo for the win. And Excalibur called this very businesslike, which I would agree with. This match was very businesslike. <laughs> and then Andrade hyperextended the arms of Seidel for the post-match attack, which it seemed like this match, he very much played to the crowd and they almost did it expecting him to be a big baby face here. While at the end, keeping it clear, he is still a heel. That's how to I me the, it. To me, the Vicky attachment was was very much him as a heel, but... Yeah, maybe they they did it expecting a big reaction. I think overall, so I I wasn't really impressed with Andrade here. I I thought the match was a bit of a disappointment, considering that this was a very, like, to me, Andrade's, like, big match coming out of WWE in front of AEW, in front of an audience, and with Matt Seidel, a very capable performer, you would think, for their style. 
but I thought it looked a little uncoordinated at parts. In fact, at times, I really felt like Seidel looked the better of the two. But, you know, ultimately, one night isn't going to affect a whole lot. What more important is the overall presentation of Andrade. And he comes across, again, like the look is incredible. I think having an entourage with him with Vicky and this other assistant now makes him look like a big deal. And with a sustained push and a big matchup with another name in AEW, like he's already money. Yeah, I mean, this was not to me like this was not a home run. It also wasn't a strikeout. It was sort of businesslike. I think Excalibur hit the nail on the head with this. I don't think I'm going to think about this match after Mm -hmm. tonight. I also have to say, Eddie Guerrero is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Everybody I know loves Eddie Guerrero. But we need uh, some communication in the back about who's going to pay tribute to Eddie on one particular show. Because on this show, it was like, man, we had like, what is it, Santana doing the Three Amigos. And then like it was like it felt like the next match afterwards. It was like Andrade here doing signaling for the Frog Splash. I would give it to the guy who's who's being managed by his wife. So um, maybe that's just a, a bit of a communication thing. Well, and, and if you are going, like, the heel route, I, I would not be giving him those spots. Yeah, that's true, too. Mm-hmm. I really think they they probably thought, like, in Miami, like, especially last week's promo, like, it really did design it, like, Andrade was going to get, like, a hero's welcome tonight. I didn't get that sense he did. Um, but there you go. A business-like win for Andrade. They aired a video package for Christian Cage and Matt Hardy. The showdown that has been 23 years in the making. With many, not? many matches among those 23 years. I was going to say, like, have, have they never wrestled before? <laughs> Just because they have, uh, it would be like, um, be like you and I uh, doing a podcast next week and saying, this has been 15 years in the making. Yes, yes. Um, with a few along the way. Uh, Christian tried to cut a very serious promo at the end. He said, get on my level or get the hell out of my way. And they're going to have their match next week. Um, I think they're in a position where these two really need to come out and have uh, like a phenomenal match together. Because I don't think this is a match that people are all that interested in. Um, Matt Hardy Mm -hmm. needs a big performance here. I agree. And I think it needs to be a different type of performance than what he has been trying to do um, in some of his singles matches in the past. Which is... To me, it feels like he's been trying to like keep up with maybe like the the style of today. It feels like he's trying to or even like recapture the Matt Hardy of old in doing like high risk spots. And I don't want to see like a forty something year old Matt Hardy do that. I want to see him. I want to see the two of them take more of the Christian route, and that is you know um, use their veteran senses to be able to pace the match, do things that that are very different that the younger generation isn't able to do that they might be able to do. And then maybe throw in like one big risky thing in there if you really want to. But I personally, I'm hoping for that kind of elevated, more educated style from these two. Um, I was not a fan of of really, I thought Christian sounded good, but man, I'm just not a fan of this like Money Mac character. It's comedy that's trying to be funny that's not really landing to me. It's a stable that has lacks focus. And um, I would say like one of the criticisms going into next week is that like... (laughs) You want to try to avoid this seeming like it's a mid-card WWF feud being transported to AEW, who I think has done a great job of making their matches with their original guys feel incredibly fresh and new. 
Uh, so to have just kind of this match in there, mm, you know, they're going to have to show us that, it, like, how can you make this fresh? Shivani is with Arn Anderson in the ring, and he talks about the win from Cody tonight, Brock, his son, recently debuting. Everything's going great, Arn. Arn says how much he's missed the fans. The lights go out again. And now everyone, I think it all, the light bulb goes off. And when the light bulb in lights, <laughs> I was trying to be more philosophical there than I needed to be. The <laughs> lights go on and there in the ring is one Tommy end and the place just loses their mind. Black mass to Arn. Then Cody's there. He eats one and the place goes crazy as we are introduced to Malachi Black. Malachi Black, yeah, name change. Um, awesome look, great look, yeah. So what? He's kind of got like a bit of a painted part part of his face with the one contact lens in the eye that he kept. Yes, um, he got hit he, with the black mask. What? Uh, he's bruised his face. Someone he someone bruised. hit him with his own move. That's what it looks well, like. What I want to know is like the 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 eye is still <laughs> okay. Well, I I was gonna say. Like, is the eye still... I was going to ask you if the eye is still a reference to him getting his eye ripped out by Seth Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy in the, in the stairs. But he kind of answers that for us. Because, like, uh, earlier in the day, he put out a video, a really well-produced video on his Instagram. Um, and Josiah Williams also stars in this. But, you know, it's, like, him inside an insane asylum. And the whole point of it is that, like... He's kind of using the insane asylum as a metaphor for the WWE. They even make reference to the eye where like, um, it's hard to explain. Um, so, so I recommend everybody watch it, but like the, the, you know, black is basically saying I lost this. <laughs> I had my eye injury from being shoved into the steps and the people at the insane asylum are trying to convince him that that was all a dream. It didn't happen. And, uh, you actually lost it in the fight. Whereas Black is trying to convince them that, no, that was real. So, I mean, that was, I would say, the introduction of the Malachi Black character. Uh, it, it's clear he's putting a whole lot of thought into this. And in AEW, where he'll be able to completely utilize um, a great deal of freedom to execute that idea, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, a feud with Cody, what a great way to, to debut. It's a big, big start for him. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think when... You know, he recently announced that that sponsorship deal with Hayabusa. I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense that you be in a company where, you know, you can get an outside sponsor like like that. So I thought that was like notable last week when he announced that. And uh, obviously it was able to get that no compete clause shortened. Yes. So, you know, he comes in. I mean, solid debut. Like the place they w- they went nuts. Uh, for this, uh, the surprise, and I thought it was a re- a real clever way with the lights to to do that. Given he is the lights out dark room character, yeah, I think it makes total sense. And uh, so is Brock yeah. Anderson gonna seek revenge? <laughs> Brock Anderson versus Tommy or Malachi Black? I you would have to, right? I mean, and I don't think that's gonna be very good for poor Brock. You, you should have. Malachi Black like murder Brock Anderson like I I think Cody and and Malachi Black like that in theory that should be I I would say all out but I could see that being on a, on a rampage or something before uh, sorry Cody and and Black Cody and Black where would you 
do you think that they do that Man. before? Like that could no. be the pay per view, but I think they could do that earlier. Yeah, I think it's a little too long to drag out. But yeah, like Black's debut being on that rampage, uh, I I think that alone is is big. So maybe you can you know wait for the Cody match for a little bit longer. But maybe they want to do the debut maybe at, at one of the fighter fests or something. But you know, being involved in a feud with Cody automatically tells them that it's tells us that they are going to take him seriously. And I think for Cody, like it's going to be a bit of a rebound from the QT feud. Um, what do you think? Like, do you think he'll get booed as a heel, or do you think Cody could possibly get booed as a heel in this? Like, who, who will the crowd choose? I think that it's. I, I I think you can you can tell the story as as intended, where you can have this this Malachi Black character be the villain. But I think at the same time, it's. I think people are going to be blown away when this guy is just let loose in the ring. Like, remember some of those matches he had with Cesaro? It's like, with the handcuffs off, I think this guy is going to excel with many of these performers. It's like he has a very fan-friendly style. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a note here from Rustin in the chat room who uh, points out a, a Mike Johnson report saying, stating that uh, PWInsider.com is told that when Tomian was moved to the main roster... Several years ago, the company failed to update its contract from the standard 30-day non-compete that NXT-level talents received to the 90-day non-compete that main roster performers are given. So, what can only be described as a bad clerical error allowed and to be free and clear in time for the first episode of Dynamite on the Road? Interesting. Okay, so perhaps not a negotiation, but clerical error. Earlier tonight, they showed this segment with Ricky Starks with his own security, noting he is not medically cleared, but he's got the FTW title match next week. Team Taz is out, and Taz calls this embarrassing. And Starks says that in his world, in FTW, the W stands for wife, as in your wife, Brian. And Brian Cage attacks security. And this is our angle setting up the title match for next week in Texas. Did you like this one on, on the mm. scale of, uh, you know, sex with your mom to uh, you're no longer in the 18 to 49 demo to the W and FTW stands for wife? This, this was kind of a low hanging fruit. This one it was a bit of a thinker, too, because like you're going to have to assume what the, the audience knows what FTW stands for. I don't think in AEW they ever said that, you know, it's still like a very much an ECW reference. Yeah, you take it for granted that everyone knows what that means. I I would imagine most uh, know it, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Like, like if you if we're talking about an average viewer, I don't think an average viewer is even aware that this title exists. To be honest, perhaps, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Blade and the Bunny versus Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. Our first mixed tag on Dynamite. Aubrey Edwards is searching the Blade and finds the brass knuckles. So the match begins. Blade trips Chris from the floor, and we go through the break. Cassidy does a spinning DDT, and then Bunny shoves Orange Cassidy off the top. Statlander knocks her down and then hits the Area 451 onto the blade. So we did have intergender spots in the match, but the rules were still that the male competitors had to be in together, and same for the females. Did we have any, like, male um, offense on, on female? We did not. Yeah, right. No. Uh, It was pretty much limited to, like, this was the big spot in the match um, with Blade and Chris Statlander. Cassidy went for the cover, but Bunny pulled him out. 
Blades got the brass knuckles, and as Orange Cassidy is going for the orange punch, he's nailed with the knucks, and then Chris Statlander tags him so that when they go to pin Cassidy, he's not the legal man, and Statlander shoves the bunny into the blade and proceeds to hit the Big Bang Theory, pinning the bunny. I found this to be like a very sports entertainment type of match, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I didn't really love it on this particular dynamite product but i think um you know the point was to elevate statlander to a higher level using orange cassidy and i thought that was very successful they both received tremendous ovations she got the big win here so um you know crowd was very responsive to to the baby faces yeah it's like we're we we have this the mixed tags that we see in WWE. And it's very clear, like they do not want to mix the men with the women. I think with like your AEW audience, when you're presenting them with this, that is the appeal that I think they want to see. So this match almost felt like, how can we tease it and give you one spot, but we don't really want to, we don't want to go the intergender route. And it just made this match to me, it was, like, I don't know what the purpose of doing it is if you don't want to go the whole way, which I think is that's the appeal. Like the audience wants to see like uh, a, a minute long sequence with Cassidy and the bunny, for instance, or Statlander and the blade. And if you're not going to do that, it's I don't know. To me, I'm I'm watching this with like a different perspective than with a WWE match where it's very clear what they're doing. And I think the AEW audience, I think they're just more used to you. You have a match like this, it's intergender. I think there's an expectation that AEW is, you know, a company that transplants concepts and ideas from directly from the indies to a, a national stage. And, you know, for a company that's able to like showcase a lot of blood, um, really like crazy amounts of blood and really like barbed wire exploding death matches, you know, it's you you wonder if they would draw the line anywhere when it comes to intergender matches. And clearly, like, they're still not comfortable. They are being presented on primetime cable television to potential advertisers. And, you know, for better or worse, this is apparently where they draw the line. If they presented the match, as you said, John, you know, I know the audience there, the audience probably listening to the show, will have no issues with it. Like, I think most of us are able to understand pro wrestling as a performance art as a dance, you know, between performers, whether they're male or female. Um, and we would be able to respect and admire these matches that way. But unfortunately, um, maybe they don't seem ready yet. But you know what? I'm just recalling right now. Didn't they do like Riho and Kenny in a match? Was that on the cruise? They did. They did an intergender match on the cruise. Right. That didn't air on Dynamite. I see. Okay. But yeah. that was like online or something like on YouTube. It was. Wasn't it a tag? Yeah, it was a tag. Yeah. 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 So this is the first official intergender tag match on Dynamite. Mixed tag. They they, they yeah. never called it intergender. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's still a, you know, a seal to be broken at some point. The Jungle Boy got a trophy for his 50th victory. This trophy has to be destroyed. It's just a question <laughs> of when and who. Sure. Yeah. Break of the. Break How the many trophy. photos did these three photographers need of Jungle Boy holding this trophy? Well, um, maybe close up, maybe a wide shot. You know, maybe of the trophy itself. Um, 
Yeah. But, you know, I, I thought it was a really nice, simple way of keeping Jungle Boy in the audience's memory to celebrate Jungle Boy, to make him feel important without him cutting a promo or having a match this week. Tony is then interviewing Dan Lambert, Jorge Masvidal, and Amanda Nunez. And Lambert takes the microphone, and I think everyone knew what we were getting here. Dan Lambert uh, acting out every every dream he has had since his impact run that I'm sure he has woken up just hoping for the day he could get this promo in front of a huge crowd in Miami. He puts over Masvidal as the BMF champion and Amanda Nunez, the two division champion and greatest female fighter of all time. This is good. Like FaceTime for Masvidal and Nunez. He said, do, do, you, do you feel like it was beneficial to the two of them? Like, do you I don't like think it, it hurt. Um, hmm. You know, I I don't know if they're the ones you remember at the end of this, but I don't think it hurt. And clearly, like, they saw this as valuable because, as I said, Masvidal was, like, in Vegas for all the UFC stuff as of, like, Tuesday. He was just on the last Embedded episode with Dustin Poirier. So this was obviously important enough that they wanted to get him here. So Nunez and him were were here for this uh, angle. Lambert says... I agreed to come here, but I never agreed to an interview or endorsing this show. So he's got the mic, and this guy just saunters over and takes over the ring. He's in the ring and says, I have better things to do. I got to get to Vegas where Dustin Poirier is going to knock out Conor McGregor again. This was interesting because... I think that line was totally designed like this wrestling crowd are all going to be McGregor fans. And it sounded a lot more mixed. Like, yeah, I think a lot of people are rooting for Dustin Poirier to win this fight on Saturday. So I didn't take that to be like this big heel line that they may have. No, if anything, to some people, it kind of kind of baby faces him. But uh, because like Poirier is definitely the baby face in that match. I think to a lot of people, he would definitely be the baby face. I mean, you have your McGregor super fans, but I mean, the odds makers. They are they are on Dustin Poirier's side. He said he was skeptical skeptical of coming here because AEW sucks. If I wanted some great wrestling, I'd pull out the VHS and watching Gordon Soley calling some real wrestling, some Eddie Graham, some Dusty Rhodes. This product's unwatchable. And let's be honest, this industry has gone downhill. Since the late 90s. Dude, this this was, to me, the acknowledgement that we would love to use a Jim Cornette. But we are never, ever going to use a Jim Cornette. But this was mm. great. I, I just took this as like this opportunity. We've got Dan Lambert. He's a great promo. Let's do a fun segment. And then Lance Archer comes out to confront him and lays out Dan Lambert with the blackout. Oh, he was awesome. He was just tremendous. This uh, guy's great. If you mi- if you missed his impact run, and I'm sure many people did during that era of impact, I mean, this guy was just what a find on impact's uh, behalf that this guy has probably dreamed of cutting wrestling promos and got to do it in impact for a great run and got to do it here. It's the fact that he not only can he talk like this, which I would say, even if he was not, you know, didn't have the real life credentials that he does, if he was just simply a guy who was able to come out and talk like that, I I would really enjoy it. But it's the fact that he is, he has his real life credentials and that he is incredibly relevant 
in the sport of mixed martial arts up until this weekend in the biggest fight perhaps in the UFC this year. Um, this this makes him, I think, such a valuable commodity for professional wrestling. And, you know, I would love to see him get involved a lot more. I was, in fact, really disappointed when Lance Archer came out. Because to me, it was such a simple end to the to the segment. And I wanted to see Lambert just kind of like go on a little bit more, maybe build that heat up a little bit more before getting that confrontation. But this just seemed like a, you know, a bit of a celebrity cameo, one night only type of thing. What do you think, John? Do you, do you think he comes back? Uh, it's a good question. Like, he's still involved with, like, MLW doing stuff with King Mo. Um, but I, I just read this as, like, a one-off. That's what it felt like. Like, it was in Miami. Let's, you know, it's not too far from Coconut Creek. And you bring them in. Uh, I, I think if you were going to do something more, you would have shot a bigger angle for it. But, I mean, the door is always open that you could have Lambert come back and he and he brings brings people next time or do something with him. He's a, he's a great talker. Any wrestling company could find a usage for a Dan Lambert. It's just this company, my God, they, it's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to talkers. I thought it looked a little bit silly cutting back to Nunez and Masvidal though, just watching their coach get beaten up. And I understand. Yeah. Like ultimately it's, it's a wrestling angle, but you know, to, to, to maintain the illusion that this was real, come on, those two would have like come in. I just Maybe they disagree with all. his philosophy. Maybe they don't think the industry has been downhill since the late 90s. They're not clearly not VHS fans. So anyway, this, it just felt that this promo was completely designed for Twitter. Oh, he was fantastic. It was great. Next week, uh, the show in Austin, Texas has the coffin match. Matt Hardy versus Christian, Brian Cage against Ricky Starks, the return of Yuka Sakazaki against Penelope Ford, John Moxley versus Carl Anderson for the U.S. title, and Hangman Page will speak. Fighter Fest. Fighter Fest, night one. Stacked. Honestly, like the, the next four shows, or the next three, I guess, are, are all going to probably be at a similar level. Do you think the coffin match headlines next week? Ooh. Well, if not that, then what? What do we talk? What else is on this? I I don't I don't see Moxley and Anderson or Cage and Starks. I I think the coffin match has to be the main event next week. I think so too. I, it's a big Darby match, and I think Darby in the main event has has been a, a home run every You're right. time. Darby has been a home run in those main event segments. I would I I thought anyway this should be the main event, and I th- I, I think it will. Do. It's like it's a big. I I think like it also goes like these main event slots. It. I think it really resonates with the audience when with the positioning in this show. Sammy Guevara is a bigger star because that match was not in the middle of the show. It ended the show. It helped that it was a phenomenal match, but the positioning helps because the main players get put in the main event. And I think next week, if they come through, it positions Ethan Page at a higher level be, just because of that association. Completely agreed. And uh, I think Mox versus Anderson sounds like a really good opener to me. Yeah, you could do that. Could certainly, yeah, you could bookend the show with that. I'm also kind of interested wild to see thing, wild thing in front of a crowd. That's right. That's right. We'll get wild thing next week. I think uh, Yuka Sakazaki and Penelope Ford could be a sleeper match next week. Yes, yes. So it looks like a good a good lineup next week. Cajun Starks as well. Main event street fight for the tag titles: the Young Bucks against Penta and Eddie Kingston. With the Young Bucks, they shaved this week. But they also invested in jorts. Jorts and Jordans. Um, 
A very unique. These, these were not just these were not John Cena jorts, dude. These were Steve Austin jorts, like thigh high. Yeah, I don't know, like what era they're trying to like parody here, like what they're going for. I just think that they're probably like going to like, I don't know, Value Village and picking out the most obnoxious things. Obviously, not the Jordans from Value Village, but just what 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 is a, a piece of clothing that we can use to elicit a reaction. And they put it on their bodies. Uh, Eddie Kingston was wearing a Terry Funk shirt. I didn't even notice that. Oh, good, uh, good pickup on on your behalf. Yeah, um, you know that was, you know, Terry Funk has put put out a, a statement, but I, th- you know, tons tons of messages in uh, just support uh, for Terry Funk. So that was nice of him to wear a shirt. Uh, Michael Nakazawa got hit with a super kick when the Bucks missed and took him out on the floor. Uh, Penta dove off the top, uh, landing on Nick with a stomp to the groin, described as an involuntary vasectomy. And then the big moment was Penta coming off the apron, putting Matt through a table with a Canadian destroyer. Insane. And, like, everything was happening so fast here that it almost, like, I know, like, the, the, the people in the truck were probably having trouble keeping up. Like, so some of these moments were almost, like, you didn't get, like, exactly the full view, but they, they did cut the replay. Have you noticed what I now am doing for dynamite matches? No, I'm not listing the time any longer because I cannot time these matches. There's too much. I've got to pause. I've got to rewind to make sure I don't, I don't miss things. They were definitely running up against the clock, you know, for this. They were, I mean, this one, um, I don't know. It it did feel at times like they were, they were powering through because this did not start until what you would say, 16, 17 minutes left in the show? Maybe, roughly. yeah, but they they just had a lot to get with, with a commercial in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie goes for a rear naked choke onto Matt, uh, but Nick climbs to the top, and he ends up hitting Rick Knox with the 450, so Knox is out uh, because there are no rules. Well, explain that to me, okay? Because, like, you're in that scenario. Why not jump on the opponent to free your brother? I would understand if this was a DQ match. So you can attack the referee and get the good brothers to come in, but the good brothers could have come in anyway. Do you, did you read any of this into, because I was watching this, especially with Rick Knox as the referee who has been criticized greatly um, with that bully Ray, Tony Khan segment recently uh, where bully Ray was bringing up like the lack of rules being enforced and such. I mean, this was a match that just to me, it, hammered that home like here's a street fight we have no rules and they made that very clear here this spot may be typifying it i i don't know i'm not sure i did i didn't really hear the comment so i can't really say well rick knox was taken out with the 450 so couldn't couldn't register the finish because matt starts tapping as rick knox is unconscious Brandon Cutler gets the spray, but then is powerbombed through a table by Frankie Kazarian, the elite hunter. Fear Factor is attempted to Matt, who avoids it. Uh, Then Kingston hits the Urican, and he's out, but so is Rick Knox. So Paul Turner runs in. Nick pulls Paul Turner out, and then Kazarian clotheslines Nick. So Gallows and Anderson run down. They take out Kazarian with the magic killer. Kingston brings in thumbtacks. And Matt whips them into Eddie's face. Penta comes back with a trash can to Matt. There's a super Frankensteiner by Nick to Penta that was unbelievable with Penta landing on the tacks. Eddie makes the save and the 
culmination of the match sees Eddie take a double super kick. They throw tacks at Penta and super kick him, put tacks into the mouth of Eddie, going full on like PWG style of Young Bucks, and super kick Eddie in the mouth with the tacks as the Bucks win the match. So we're throwing t- thumbtacks now. We're just whipping them like at opponents. It, you know, and like you are digesting tax. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen like the super kicking thumbtacks uh, into the mouth before. It's it it's great. It's wonderful. And you know what? Throwing thumbtacks at people. Um, I just hope you you know whoever's taking it keeps their eyes closed, including the people in the front row. But it probably hurts a bit less. And I think it's it, it, it's very devastating looking. But man, this was uh, I think a crazy sprint. A million spots crammed into this thing. It did feel very rushed towards the end with them going boom, boom, boom. But maybe that's part of the appeal because it was also very entertaining. It it was like a really, really entertaining match. I would say I I preferred last week's. Like last week's to me, um, maybe it was also having that that opening segment. Like you're not not watching the clock with that opening match or any other matches beyond the main event. But that's not to downgrade. This was a pretty spectacular street fight that I imagine those live, this would have been out of this world. Yeah. I was watching this. You know, with the amount of uh, stuff they threw in there, definitely felt worthy of a main event. And I thought a great way to like put in a big exclamation mark on a, an excellent return to the touring for AEW. This felt like a big show. It was. I mean, the crowd atmosphere. I mean, this was, you know, it, it was AEW back to where Dynamite would be the show you would watch each week. And it's, man, I want to be in that crowd. Like, this is a commercial for the next show. When this comes to your town, you don't want to just watch this at home. Like, this is an experience to go live uh, and watch mm-hmm. these shows. So that's that's what tonight felt like in Miami. You had, you know, like, important wrestling, like, good matches. Um, like, was there anything, maybe nothing on the level of, like, what we got last week? You know, definitely not, I would say, you know, with that main event last week. But, you know, you did have a big surprise appearance in uh, Tommy N. What's his name? Malachi Black. Malachi. Malachi Black. Yes. Uh, You know, the Andrade debut match, I thought, you know, was a bit of a spectacle uh, for for that reason. And um, Dan Lambert, to me, was a big highlight of this show. I thought he was fantastic. (laughs) So, yeah, man, it was a good show. It was a fun show. Definitely. All right. Forum.postwrestling.com. Tonight's show getting a 7.45. Not at the level of last week's, but l- last week was, you know, one of the, one of the best episodes of the year. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's start off with Noah from Vaughn. Uh, he was very high on tonight's show. He gave it a ten out of ten. The matches were all entertaining and enhanced by a super hot crowd. Main event was a classic AEW hardcore match that was just spectacular. But the biggest story has to be the fact that WWE really messed up by a not doing anything with Aleister Black. For months on end and be releasing him at a time like this where he can instantly head to AEW and be a huge star. Black alongside Andrade are two incredible additions to an already stacked main event scene. AEW just feels so hot right now. It's just great. We got a Jake from the Windy City who says a very fresh edition of Dynamite. But that they're now that they're out of Daly's place, I couldn't help but feel insanely happy for Hangman. Even if you didn't include the story arc before TV, it's been crazy. The guy who lost his big chance and lost his way to get that pop now. Insane. I really enjoyed Black's debut here, although I thought Excalibur made it kind of awkward by mentioning he wrestled him 15 years ago, which I don't know if that had any relevancy whatsoever. I think that 
I agree with you, Jake. I, I don't think it was all that important for him to to mention it. But I think the, what Excalibur was going for was was the fact that, hey, I recognize that guy. I recognize that guy from my past because most people don't know him as Tommy End. Most people he couldn't be in the role of who is that? Like that yeah. would be against his credibility. Like Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, I wouldn't even go so far. Like you can't. Your audience nor, knows who it is, nor, so you can't play. Yeah, that. Nor, nor could you say like that's the guy from that ch- the other channel. You know, like maybe that. So he had to call him Tommy End, and he had to justify who Tommy End was. And I think that was probably the the, the closest way he was able to do it. Uh, but then uh, Jake goes on to say, but Dan Lambert doing the cranky stuck in the past wrestling curmudgeon who nitpicks everything on the show gimmick freaking ruled. Even though he has a lot on his plate, I would love to see him do an occasional program here and there. Overall, what a show for a return to the road. The crowd was hot. So many amazing moments. Nine black masses out of ten. Raphael from North Liberty. Tonight felt fresher than I thought it would. Getting out of Daly's place was such a huge change, both in terms of setting and fans. They had their own energy that really made tonight feel special. A 10 out of 10 show for me. The highlights were Malachi Black's debut being foreshadowed in the Cody match, Britt Baker's promo, Kenny Omega and Adam Page's outfits, Kenny's low blow to Uno, and of course the main event. I can't wait for next week. Nights like tonight are why I love professional wrestling. Dan from Toronto says, I had a fabulous time watching Dynamite. From bloody tack tosses to big-time surprises, right to sizzling hot Dan Lambert action, I got two hours of wrestling thrills, chills, and spills. Heck, tonight I found that I'm desperately craving a series of MJF audiobooks about mythology. I have lots to gush about, but I also have two mild gripes. One, unless the touching the corners rule is dropped, I've had my fill of strap matches for this quarter century. I don't mind the straps. Strap. It's the irritating touch all the turnbuckles thing. I'm sure it was great when Eisenhower was in office, but it feels archaic today. I hate this type of match. It can eat a family-sized bag of shit. Any thoughts on that criticism, John? Strap I mean, generally, strap matches. I'm very done with like the over the overdone ending of... And they teased it once in the match where... You have the aggressor and then the guy behind him hitting all the turnbuckles behind him. I'm so done with that finish. Tonight, they didn't do that. That wasn't the ending. So I didn't really have a problem. Like, tonight, tonight's match worked. And it was in a perfect spot. Like, your first match in front of this crowd. Well, I mean, they had watched, like, the, the dark matches and such. But, you know, on the show proper. Hot crowd. You've got Cody. Your big baby face. I thought tonight's opener worked. As an opener, like when it's not given a great deal of importance, you know, to carry a show, I I think it's fine. It doesn't offend me too much, but I also don't love it. And I never really look forward to it that much either way. Uh, he also says too, Chris Land, Chris Statlander was amazing tonight, but are we going to keep getting small, such small portions of women's wrestling until Rampage debuts? Fans dig the women's division, but it still feels like an afterthought outside of Britt Baker's universe. I do not disagree with Dan. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that just like, they appear and then they just disappear. They're either like on dark or you just don't, don't kind of like see them. Like is Sheeta's injured? Am I right? Is she uh, injured? I, I don't know. I don't think She's so. not? Yeah. So where the hell is Karashita then? You know, like, or, or like really like anybody else on this show? I mean, you have... The, the match announcement next week, so you at least have Yuka Sakazaki back in the mix. So um, Hanzi says she wrestled on Dark or Elevation. Okay, great. And yeah, I mean, like, 
it always feels like we're just focused on like, you know, one principal program when it's a whole division now. And we're past the point of like, you know, the argument that the talent isn't there. It's there. And it's like really strong. So I agree. Let's keep going here with Eric from Miami. I went live and this was one hell of a show. During the early dark elevation taping, the lights went out on Justin Roberts. So then when it happened with Cody, I figured it was an angle. I don't know if the entire Dan Lambert promo aired on Dynamite, but it was incredible. He had us booing and cheering within a second. When the show was over, Tony Khan pointed out that this was Eddie Kingston's first AEW with live fans and told us to stick around because Jungle Boy would be in action as well as Darby Allen with Sting in his corner. Finally, I guess Luchasaurus has to change his finisher. Because Why? of the, the black mass. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they can they can call it different things. All right. We got a Kate from Montreal who will be joining me this Friday on Rowena Smackdown. But Kate for AEW, she says, I have been making sacrifices to many gods that one particular WWE star would come to AEW and I guess I finally hit on the right one. Alistair Black was one of, one of my favorite parts of NXT when he was there, and my disillusionment with the main roster was greatly exacerbated by the way in which he was handled. I think they could have filled the rest of the two hours with a kazoo orchestra doing Rush covers, and I would have been happy. <laughs> that sounds awesome, actually. I'd be happy with that, too. But really, the whole show delivered. It was great seeing Andrade in action again. The wordless confrontation with Omega and Paige was a fantastic moment that absolutely needed the crowd to reach its full potential. I really like the face-off between Ethan Page and Darby, too. There is a good story there, and even though most people won't have followed it, I thought they did a good job of laying it out. Right now, I'm trying to think of anyone on the WWE roster who is going to be as over with crowds as Hangman. I can't think of a babyface that would get anything close to the reaction I saw tonight, unless it's Becky coming back. Hockey is dead to me. There is only wrestling and soccer. Well, all things have to come to an end, including the Montreal Canadiens run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But hey, a, a first and maybe only time that we'll be talking about the Stanley Cup final ending in July. Wow, you're right. Yeah, well, let's hope. All right. That's going to wrap up the show. Thanks to all of our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons that joined us live tonight in the Zoom room. Zoom room. Uh, you can do so after every Raw, every Dynamite, and Friday on Rewind to SmackDown, all patrons can join Way and Kate from Montreal live and share their uneasiness about the Montreal Canadiens failing to unseat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Who, do you remember who Tampa Bay beat the last time they won the Stanley Cup? No clue. Calgary. They're the Canadian oh. killers. There you go. Well, um, unfortunate, but, you know, she'll have had two days to recover from it. And uh, we're happy for all of our listeners in Tampa who are hockey fans, of course. Okay, so Way is going to be back Thursday night with MCU Later with WH Park and then Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown. I will have a UFC 264 preview on Friday with Phil and Eric and then post-show Saturday night right after Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. You can watch that show live on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel right after the main event. Uh, we will be going live and running through all of the fights. And then Sunday, the NWA podcast. All can be found at postwrestling.com. Subscribe to Post Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts. And brand new shirt at store.postwrestling.com featuring the four pillars. A hot seller. I know Eddie Kingston would love this shirt. 
it is the four pillars of heaven promoting well it is a with in promotion i suppose of the long winding railroad so get it right now at store.postwrestling.com and that is it we are out goodbye